if we want to have relationships that have a chance of working, if we want to have that sense of personal empowerment, if we want to have a life that is filled with meaning and with purpose, it all begins by understanding the mind and what makes us do the things we do. And why do we get stuck in these patterns of self-defeating behavior patterns, self-sabotaging behaviors? Why do we get stuck in relationship patterns that sometimes feel like it's the same boring movie? So at some point, we got to get honest and say, wait a minute, there is one common denominator in every one of these relationships and every one of these life situations. And that is me. It all begins by understanding the mind. I want to be happy now. I don't care about the future. I want to be happy right now. You are not alone. You are never, ever, ever alone in this. It's helped my voice grow and given me freedom to be creative on my own. I'm Christina Barcy. Welcome to Be Bold Begin, a podcast dedicated to you, the creative, the healer, and the innovator. The topics and conversations we have here are designed to help you discover what might be getting in your way and offer you tools, techniques, and guidance to move through them. I live in the imposter's body more than I live in my own body. I don't have to feel like I don't deserve this. This is where creativity and healing intersect. If you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. I'm a certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, a certified Reiki energy healer, and an entrepreneur, artist, and presenter. I will share with you my experiences, my proven tools and techniques that helped me and my clients and loved ones shift and expand in the areas they most desired. This is a gentle and open space where you will hear how others are being bold to encourage you to begin your own journey or expand the one you're on. This is Be Bold Begin. Hi, welcome back. This is Barcy, your host. I'm so happy that you're here with me today because this season we're focusing on our message. What is most on our hearts to express to the world and the journey of discovering what that is and how we go about discovering that. Because I believe that once we start exploring that, we really do tap into our own power and that creates a lot of freedom and opportunity to then lead a more fulfilling life, as well as help others in the ways that we most desire to. So today I have a guest that really leaned into this part of himself and has created many spaces and opportunities to help others do the same. I think the title of his most recent book really captures this. It's called Awakening the Soul of Power, How to Live Heroically and Set Yourself Free. His name is Christian de la Huerta, and his career has focused on personal transformation. He's an active public speaker, a seminar leader, group facilitator, and consultant on the subject. He's informed by his spiritual studies and psychology background, and one important focus of his career has been the healing practice of breathwork. In 2002, he founded Soulful Power. It's a South Florida-based organization that hosts spiritual breathwork retreats, workshops, and offers coaching services. Soulful Power has offered remote retreats to locations including Hawaii, California, New Mexico, Peru, China, Southern France, and Egypt, all places that I want to visit. (laughs) De La Huerta first became a national figure following the release of his book that came out in 1999, And the book is called Coming Out Spiritually, The Next Step, 
This I find fascinating. In it, he presents the spiritual role of LGBTQ plus people, how they've fulfilled that throughout history and across many cultures, and organizes them into 10 archetypes. The book was chosen by Publishers Weekly as one of the 10 best religion books of 1999, and was also nominated for a Lambda Literary Award. Wow, that's quite an accomplishment. Welcome, Christian. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Hey, Marcy. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that introduction. You did your research. I wouldn't have been able to tell you when Soul for Power was founded. Really? I, yeah, I had no <laughs> idea, because I've been doing the work for 30 years, but under different names. So I had no idea. Had you pressed me, I, had, I would have never come up with that number. That's so interesting. Yeah. I relate to that. I, I forget when I've conjured certain ideas, and if they're not written somewhere in a notebook that I <laughs> don't go back to, I'm like, I'm not really sure when I started to do that. Yeah. Now I'm just curious. You said it, you've worked under other names. Do you remember any of those? Can you share some? Sure. Revolutionary Wisdom was the iteration right before that. Revolutionary and, Wisdom. Yeah. Were you feeling in a place where you were feeling like revolutionary things were happening in your life? Well... It was more about revolutionary from the sense of sort of what drives my work is paraphrasing Einstein, that you can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness in which it was created. So when I think about the human situation, the human condition, and the hole that we have dug ourselves into, <laughs> and when I think about how do we ever get out of the situation, I think it's going to be, it's going to take nothing less than a spiritual revolution, like a leap in evolution, like in conscious evolution, Mm. which it's going to have to shift the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about each other and the way we connect with the planet. So that's what I mean by revolutionary wisdom. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I agree. I think that that is the next level of evolution too, is as simple as mindset to put it plainly, how we think about ourselves and how we think about each other and and what we believe we're capable of. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. So spiritual revolution, that's what it's going to take. Very cool. I can't wait to dig (laughs) in into that more. But before I do, I just want to hear a little bit about your background, if you're comfortable sharing where you grew up and just a little bit about yourself. Sure. So that's interesting because I was born in Cuba, the year of the revolution there, of the communist revolution. So I probably carry revolution in my blood. Right. I was in my mother's womb when the revolution happened. So that means I lived in a communist country for the first 10 years of my life, for which I'm actually really grateful. In one way, it's ironic that I'm writing and speaking about personal empowerment, because as you know, in a totalitarian, dictatorial, communist regime, there is no such thing as personal power. Like the state pretty much owns you and how you think and what's good and and what you can do and what you can't and whether you can go to college and if so, what to study. It's like, it's you're pretty much state owned. So it's also interesting that I was raised in a very Catholic environment because with all due respect to that and to all traditions, it's also a very hierarchical mm-hmm. power over structure. So again, you're, you're told from above what's right and what's wrong and what to believe and what not to believe. And there are a couple of things for which I'm really grateful of that experience of having been raised in a, in a communist country. For one thing, we had a TV, but there was nothing worth watching in terms of programs. So we grew up reading. And I'm so grateful for that because when we came over to the States and I didn't speak a word of English, I had this relationship with words, with books. I had a, I knew how to study. I knew how to, how to learn. And that made all the difference. 
Mm. Also creatively, like make, you know, we didn't have that many toys. So we had to invent our games and our pastimes. And for that, I'm also really grateful. When I see some, you know, so many kids today just with their nose to the screens and their computers and their phones, and it's sad. Mm. Even though there are so many advantages to coming up today, Right. There are things that I had growing up and that probably you had growing up that they don't. It sounds like you had a really big opportunity to develop a relationship with yourself early on. Yes. And I relate to that from an, a creative standpoint. I was more interested in making up my games than looking to an outsource, like a, even television. I was very picky. I still am about what I consume. <laughs> I'm not so interested. <laughs> I'm more interested in ideas and creativity and being imaginative. But I think that helped me really learn more about who I am. And it sounds like you may have tapped into that really early on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I did a little bit of reading about you and your second generation immigrant, in your case from Hungary, but also another communist country. Yes. And then I also read somewhere in your writing somewhere that you were identified as introverted, which which Mm -hmm. I so do I. You know, there's a book called The Introvert Advantage. And, you know, the way that they define introversion is that we process things internally before we speak them. Whereas an extrovert is actually figuring out what they believe and how they think as they're speaking it. Mm. And I think that's what you're talking about. For me, it was, yes, I had a very rich internal life. And I had to face some existential questions from a young age. And at the time, it was painful. And, you know, like trying to find a place for myself, as I knew from a young age that I was gay. And so trying to find a place for myself and the religion that I was trying to serve, I had this part of me that wanted to be a priest. At the same time that I was being told that I was going to burn to hell for eternity. So tough, tough time. My adolescence was probably one long depression with suicidal fantasies. Mm. But the upside of it, the silver lining, is that I had to face myself and ask the really profound existential questions, which I think most of us have to ask at some point. Like, who are we and what are we doing here? And what is our relationship to this thing we call life and how quickly it goes? And what are we going to do with this little time that we have on this tiny, tiny pebble that carries us through space at thousands of miles per hour? So, yeah, I'm grateful for the pain and the alienation because it it deepened me. And it also gave me the ability to feel and to feel compassion and to empathize with other people's pain. Right. You touched on so many things there. And well said, because there's a lot we could pull apart. But you know your story well. So I appreciate that. I just want to acknowledge the powerful teacher that pain can be, Mm. and that obstacles are for us, because it really show up in ways that allow us to make choices. And we can either see what we're made of and see what kind of choices we make in those scenarios, or we can play a victim and pretend like things are happening to us. Because a lot of that could be framed that way, especially with big institutions like Catholicism, religion and communism, that can feel like we have zero control, like you were saying, and that can feel very disempowering. And like, it's happening at us, like life just happens. And we're here, kind of going, all right, well, I guess I don't have any power in this and, and that's it. So all that said, you did immigrate to the United States. I think you said when you were 10. Yeah. 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 But before you move from, okay. that, you just went for the jugular. I did. <laughs> like, like you don't mess I'm around. I'm like, so anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you do not mess around. Like you just went like doing retreats for 30 years. That is the issue that I think people struggle with the most. 
which is how do we pop out of this victim mindset and relationship yeah. to life? Like, like, how do we pop out of this poor me, woe is me? If mom hadn't been this way or if dad had been the other way or the teacher or the minister or if the system was different, you know, if there wasn't misogyny or racism or homophobia, if only had been born to a different family or a different country. If then, only, yeah. If only, but the thing is that on this journey of personal empowerment, as long as we're holding anyone or anything outside of ourselves mm. responsible for our state of being, we just gave our power away. Yeah. And that's hard. It's hard to do because, and by the way, we should be really clear that we're not rationalizing or exonerating what anybody did or failed to do. And we're certainly not denying that the system is stacked unfairly. Correct. And that that needs to be handled as well. That's not what we're talking about, though. What we're saying is that no matter what happened in the past and no matter what happens going forward, because one thing we can count on is that life is going to continue throwing curveballs our way. That is for sure. One of the few things we know for sure. But if we frame it from this way that you brought up and that we're talking about, that no matter what happened and no matter what happens, we always get to choose yes. how we show up in response that alone, that simple yet difficult reframe changes everything. Mm -hmm. It actually allows us to empower ourselves. Yeah. And that's a great explanation. I'm glad you stuck on this theme. And it probably feels easy for me to access because it's the shift I needed to make yeah. years ago when I started paying more attention to why I wasn't happy and why things weren't working, to put it simply. And a simple way to kind of lean into this is just ask the simple question whenever you're feeling at odds with life is just, where's the choice? Where's my choice? Where are the choices that I can make? Yes. And yeah. it can be that tiny at first. And then things start to open up, I think, and, and observing others that you're like, how are they making these choices? And yes. we all have a story and we all have things that show up that, like you said, we're have moments of, of feeling disempowered and feeling like. We don't have any choice or control, but seeing others with stories, this is why I love this platform in general, podcasting, listening to people tell us what their experiences are, because then we can see ourselves in it and we can see where people are still making decisions for themselves and carving out the life they actually want to live. And I think that's what's so powerful about just talking about these things. Yeah, and thank you for doing it because it really does make a difference. I know that that even as an introvert, at some point along the way, you had to extend yourself beyond your comfort zone, right? To decide to host a podcast. I mean, I can only imagine. I don't. We haven't talked about that, but I can only imagine that that was the case. So, thank you for making that choice, because as a result of that choice, not only did you transcend your own limitations and your own fear, but you're also making it possible for so many lives to be touched and improved and impacted. Thank you for that. And same for you. It's, I just learned what introversion was just a few years ago and was finally like, oh, this is something that I can identify with now. It helps me understand myself better. And so I started to notice more people like you talking about that as something that is part of who we are and how it's just nice to be able to have a conversation about that. So let's talk about it a little bit because you also had to <laughs> overcome that. And sure. I remember being very young, being deathly shy of everything and scared of everything and just wanting to disappear. I didn't want anyone to acknowledge me. I just, it was easier to just not participate because it was mortifying to me. 
<laughs> but knowing that I wanted to do all of these things and I just yes. was like, how am I going to be the person I want to be if this is how I feel all the time? And I was obsessing over what to do at a very young age. Like I'd say age seven to 10, where it was just this thing I needed to overcome. I just knew it. And I think it wasn't until high school where I started to lean into like the theater department. And then I thought, you know, I can do this because I love stories and I love make-believe. So this can be the tool I use to get out of my own way. So that was the first tool hmm. for me, honestly. And I was like, well, let's just do this all the way. <laughs> so. I love that. Like, I, I wasn't ready for that in high school. Like, I, I was okay one-on-one. -on -one. Like, you know, I have always had this depth or, or understanding of people. So all, people always came to me yeah. for advice. But if you added a third person, I clammed up. And to get on a stage, forget it. There is no way <laughs> at that point in my life that I would have been able to do that. To the degree that, I mean, I didn't do this intentionally. But looking back on it, I know that I sabotaged my grade point average. I had all A's in high school except for one B wow. my last semester. And I know that I sabotaged it subconsciously because there's no way. There's no way that I could have gotten up then in front of an auditorium filled with hundreds and hundreds of people. There's just no way. And be the valedictorian, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I sabotaged my GPA so that I wouldn't have to give the valedictorian speech. Wow. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. And I got through college somehow without getting in front of a room. Like I was able to, to speak from my desk, but there was something about standing in front of a group that I just couldn't do. And yet, like you, I had the sense of mission. I knew that I had work to do. Mm. And so I knew that I had to get over this. And, and here's how I overcame that. And I didn't understand the concept then. But I signed up for a public speaking course, which I hated. I detested <laughs> because every Thursday I'd have to get up and give three two minute speeches. Come Monday night, I was already dreading it. I was already angsting about it. I was losing sleep. But what happened after doing it and doing it and doing it again, midway through the course of the 14 weeks, it stopped being such a big deal. And that is the system that I learned later about how to transcend fear, which if you know, there's a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. And, and pretty much that's the book, right? You feel the fear and you don't allow it to hold us back. But how do we transcend it? And so imagine concentric circles. The center circle represents our comfort zone. So this is where we're comfortable today, being with ourselves, being with other humans, being in the world. Every time we take a little step, and it could be a baby step or it could be a huge leap, we get to determine that. But every time we take a step outside of that comfort zone, which means that we place ourselves in some degree of discomfort, maybe even some degree of risk, meaning psychological risk. Mm. But every time we do that, we expand that comfort zone. So if we would do even a baby step every week, at the end of 52 weeks, now our comfort zone is way out here and it doesn't shrink back. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of power in simply repetition, like consistency or just doing it's the action piece for me became really magical <laughs> where it is just what you're describing, just doing it anyway. I say that a lot on the show actually. Um, and I talk a lot about fear and how, you know, we're taught to overcome fear, right? We're taught that it needs to go away, but yes, but it doesn't, it's something you learn yes. to work with, 
right? That's that's, that's the big difference. I remember that being very shifting for me when I, someone said that to me for the first time and then that's gave it. me tools to go, this is how you do that. And I was like, yeah. oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 that's it. We, we think that fearlessness means that we don't feel fear anymore. Right. But it doesn't. It means what we're talking about. We feel it and we don't allow it to hold us back. We transcend the hold that it's had on us. Yes. And that can be applied to all the things we just touched on, all the big things we just touched on, like all the adversity we dug into right away. It's that same idea of doing it anyway and knowing what it's worth to you, right? Yes, yes. And and I love that you and I speak from experience. Like we walk the talk. And so flash forward, today I speak all over the world. I've spoken at dozens of universities on the TEDx stage. So I know that whatever we have allowed to hold us back, from being all of who we are and from stepping into our power and to our mission level work, I know that it can be overcome. It can be transcended. Yeah. It's a hundred percent possible because if it's possible for anyone, it's possible for everyone. It does boil down to making the choice, making the decision. It's about just deciding. And then what are the steps to get there? And they're different for different people too. It's why we talk to lots of people about the same topics, right? So that we can (laughs) see what resonates for us and it changes over time. You know, what resonated with me 10 years ago, now it's something a little different. Yeah. But same theme. (laughs) Yeah. I'm still trying to get to the same place and do the same things. And thank you for um, sharing all that from that perspective. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my father, who was my example of just doing stuff. He had to escape Hungary by swimming across a lake to Austria Wow! while being shot at by Russians. <laughs> oh, my God. Luckily, he was in the middle of the night as well, so it's cold. And I think he just did it with his little ship swimming trunks and just swam the three miles underwater. And he's actually the only one that made it. He lost two cousins along the way mm. who tried to do that with him. And he was 16. Wow. So it's this idea of really knowing, you know, what your choices are and saying, Hey, it's either stick around in this country where I have no choices, you know, perceptively, you always have something like we just described, but really being under the thumb of the situation or just doing it. And that's very risky. So I don't suggest everyone, you know, run into (laughs) the line of fire, but, (laughs) but that's what he did. And he got to this country and you know, there's a whole bunch of story after that that happened, but it's the reason I get to be here today and do these things. And what an example. My God, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that visual. Powerful. Yeah. And the things our parents did for freedom and so that their children would have a life of choice. Like my parents, we didn't leave that way, but they were counter revolutionaries. They actually conspired against the the Castro regime in the early days. So dangerous. So dangerous out of their pot of friends. They were the only ones who didn't spend 20 years in jail or went to the firing squad. Wow. And when we left, we left through Spain. But my older sister was 12. I was 10. My mom was eight months pregnant with the youngest. One of, you know, I'm one of nine. And, you know, to land in a foreign country and then to come to this country a few months later without speaking the language and putting kids through, you know, Mm -hmm. feeding them, clothing them, putting them through school is like, I don't even know how they did that. Right. And I don't think they knew how they were going to do it. I would assume either. It's about the goal at that point. Like, we have to try. Right. 
And it's magnificent that it worked out and that, you know, they walked through that with you all. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and without minimizing anybody, any listeners, you know, trauma right. or challenges, but what those examples speak to is, is that human drive for freedom and, and to fulfill our potential. And to me, those are great examples that if they can do that, anybody listening can do that and can do whatever they need to do to break free from their self-imposed prison mm-hmm. of fear and lack and limitation. Yes. And, and how do we break free from these mindsets that we have allowed to hold us back from being all of who we are? Thank you for taking care of that part. Because yes, you don't need big dramatic reasons in your life. We all have reasons and reasons psychologically that we stand in our own way to be who we know we can be. I think there's a deep knowing often. Yes. So I kind of want to, this might leads me a little bit to what is kind of the first half of your book where you spend a lot of time on the ego and what that means and how that plays into this journey. Can you just share with us a little bit about why it's important for us to address that and maybe how it informs this journey of transformation and being our true yes. selves? Yeah. And, and it's a huge question. I wouldn't really have the time to dive into it, but I spend, like you say, the whole probably first quarter of the book yeah, talking about the ego mind and so that we can understand, you know, the ways that it holds us back and the self-made prison that we were just talking about of fear and limitation and, and victimization that we started to talk about and self-righteousness and defensiveness and all the ways that it keeps us small and caught. So Here's a good metaphor, like a good visual to understand what the ego is. The the ego is a part of the mind that makes sense of sensory information that would otherwise be overwhelming and can reach into the past, it can project into the future and somehow weaves it all into a sense of self, in the sense of, of, of individual personality. This is Christian over here, that's Barcy over there. It's both a leap in evolution. As far as we know, we're the only species that has a sense of self. Like mm. Homo sapiens sapiens, or our name, or Latin name, can be translated to mean humans who know that we know. So it's that self-reflexive consciousness who, that allows us to, to reflect back mm-hmm. upon ourselves. And that's one of the reasons we're so smart and so successful as a species. But it's also the source of all our suffering. Because once the ego, that sense of individual personality developed in us, now we can have you know, a sense of, of abandonment. We can have abandonment issues. We can have loneliness. We can feel isolated and lonely and alone and depressed. And some, those are some of the prices that we pay for that sense of individual identity. If you put a baseball in the center of a stadium, that's what the ego is. Who we are is actually the stadium. And we've allowed this tiny, tiny, tiny part of who we are to think that it is all of who we are and to make some really important critical, consequential choices from its very small, limited, and always fear-based perspective. So if if we want to have relationships that have a chance of working, if we want to have that sense of personal empowerment that we've been talking about, if we want to have a life that is filled with meaning and with purpose, it all begins by understanding the mind and what makes us do the things we do? And why do we get stuck in these patterns of self-defeating behavior patterns, self-sabotaging behaviors? Why do we get stuck in relationship patterns that sometimes feel like it's the same boring movie 
<laughs> maybe with a different actor, it's a different co-lead, but it's the same boring movie with the same issues, the same patterns, the same crap coming up. So at some point, we got to get honest and say, wait a minute, there is one common denominator in every one of these relationships and every one of these life situations, and that is me. Yeah. So why do I do the things I do? Or why do I attract this kind of people or create these type of relationship patterns? And it all begins by understanding the ego mind. Mm. It's critical. It's huge. That's a great analogy. You illustrate that in your book about the baseball in the stadium. And it's so simple and so easy to go, oh, yeah, okay, I could see that. But I also know what it's like to feel so identified as the ego growing up until someone introduces something different. How do you start that awareness process? Because that's really the first step, right? Is understanding yes. that we aren't aware of something, but you don't know what you don't know. So right. how do you become, I mean, there's so many ways we could talk about this, but I'm curious what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, well, I think you said it. It starts with self-awareness. We can't do anything about what we don't see. Right. And a lot of the stuff is subconscious. Mm-hmm. So that's the first first step is becoming conscious of why we do the things we do and why of the patterns that sometimes we think we're reacting to a present situation, but it actually goes back to childhood and, and some choice that we made about ourselves mm-hmm. that is still having an impact upon yeah. ourselves. So, for example, like I come across this one a lot, say that our parents got divorced at a young age when we were at a young age and we didn't have the perspective to understand what was going on in the relationship or, or understand how their parents were taught about relationship and their parents before that. We didn't know it was what conflicts our parents were dealing with or why they got into a relationship in the first place or, you know, their brain biochemistry, any substances that were present. We take it personally. Right. And maybe we misheard something. Maybe, maybe one of our parents said something in a, in a moment of overwhelm and it, we took it on. We it became part of our identity. So how could daddy leave me? You know, mm-hmm. doesn't daddy love me? How could he leave? Or mommy? And it had nothing to do with us. But we made it about us and we took it on. And then that becomes part of our identity. And as long as that is in there, and because it's such an intense thing for a little kid, we cover it up. We suppress it. And we overcompensate for it, mm-hmm. which explains perfectionism. We have to overcompensate and prove to the world and to ourselves that we are good enough, that we are worthy. And I know that one from personal experience, too. So it all begins by becoming aware of why we do the things we do. And that's why I spend that much time in the beginning of the book. And I designed the book to walk people by the hand. It's stuff that is not easy to see. It's simple to understand, but it's hard to see in ourselves. Because by definition, there are blind spots. And there's stuff that we have, in some cases, spent a lifetime running away from and numbing ourselves out not to look at and not to feel right like i mean it's hard to feel like we're not good enough it's hard to feel that we're not worthy the most tragic part of those beliefs that we take on in childhood is that they're not true they're just misunderstandings of little minds of young minds that didn't know any better so so the only way to freedom is is we have to have the courage to go within and to look ourselves and to face those inner demons and it is difficult, yes, it's nothing short of heroic, and it is so worthwhile to do that work because the reward is freedom mm. and a, such a profound sense of self-love and self-acceptance that is hard to convey. 
And like you said, to wrap it all up to what you said, it goes back to self-awareness. That's the first step. Self-awareness leads to self-acceptance, which leads to self-love. I completely agree. And I, I don't know if I've ever heard it said in that perfect sort of trilogy of experience, <laughs> those three things. And they're big chapters, by the way. Like, yes. They're not just like, oh, yeah, so then I'm, I'll get to self-love and my life will be great. Um, <laughs> and it's going to, yeah. all I have to do is read this book. But um, it does start with things, seeking out tools, I think, and like listening to other people and reading books like yours that do take the time to walk someone by the hand through these ideas and I was not surprised, but maybe a little surprised that you do spend almost half the book on defining the ego and how that plays a part in our lives and how to break that down and work with it. And and then we get to the next part of what happens after that. But I, I hadn't seen that yet in any other book. So I enjoy that. I'm almost done with that chapter. I have like a couple pages left, but I think you do a really great job illustrating it and telling stories in ways that we can see it the message differently as you walk people through it. So I do suggest, luckily I was very lucky you sent me a book. So thank you for that. Appreciate that so much, but of I do course. suggest people checking this out and some of your other books as well. We'll get into contact information later, but it is a valuable journey to go on with someone like someone who writes a book or has something to offer to help guide people through this is so helpful. And I think in a first step of awareness, yes. I guess my point is like, you, you don't have to be alone. Exactly. Even though you're on a self journey, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. Oh my God. And so much support. Like, yeah. Like one of the things for which I'm grateful for this pandemic without minimizing the tragic parts of it right. is that a, it gave me the time to finish this book that I've been brewing inside my head for probably 10 years. It also gave me the opportunity, and it kind of forced my hand to, to create virtual online programming, which I've known for years I needed to do. But I was, you know, I went from 100,000 miles on a plane just flying here, there to do one retreat to the next to zero. And my income went to zero Great. last year because I wasn't able to do retreats or mm. see clients one on one. And so, had, like many people, had to pivot mm -hmm. to the virtual arena. But I'm really grateful for that. Because one of the, the benefits I see is like in this year-long coaching program that I created is it allows me to deliver the teachings piecemeal. So bite-sized, mm. just a little bit of content each week. But here's the key that's different. It's interactive. So every week there are assignments and, and not stuff, stuff you can do in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. But over the course of a year is the kind of stuff that is designed to apply the teachings to our lives so that it doesn't stay uh, so that the teachings don't stay at the level of theory or, or what a great idea or concept mm -hmm. or information, because we don't need more information. We've got information overload. Right. What we need is transformation. And that's what those teachings are designed to do on those practices. And then the other thing that you were pointing to, which is the support, you know, to, to go through this year of, of transformation with a small group. I'm keeping them, you know, intimate to 25, 30 people, at least for now, for the beginning. So to share that journey with people of like mind who are also beginning to see aspects of themselves and beginning to bust themselves mm -hmm. on these self-defeating and self-sabotaging patterns, it's incredibly supportive because sometimes it's because of our blind spots. Hard to see over here, but it's really easy to see over there. Yeah. And yet, you know, if it's there, it's here. Right. And so if we, right. if we can just apply it to ourselves, then, then 
the journey becomes so much more easy. And you're so right. We don't have to do it alone. The support is that there are so many people like us who are on this journey of self-discovery and, and self-empowerment and self-expression. And then the other thing that I, that this system or this model allows me to put into place is accountability, which we all need. I have my business coaches to keep me doing what I said I would do. And, and you know, because that's an area of expertise that is not my expertise. Like I didn't know anything about business. I'm really good at what I do with delivering my content and, and, changing lives and, you know, the psycho spiritual component, but the, how to structure it, I had no idea. And so to have a coach to both give that mirroring and both the support and the accountability, keeping us doing what we said we would do is, is priceless. It's priceless. It sounds really beautiful what you've created and the, you had me at bite size because I'm all about really small steps and <laughs> making things easy because the easier they are, the less we have an excuse not to do it is what yes. it kind of boils down to. And one thing I want to add with working with others is the normalization. That was huge for me mm, when I first yes. experienced something in a group like that, where I was learning things that were along in this lane was really learning that introversion is normal, that, you know, other things about myself were normal as a creative person and just my own mindset stuff that, Oh, everyone has thoughts like that. Or there were things I didn't even realize I believed were just happening to me. I thought, and then as soon yeah. as people were having conversations like that around me, I had the realization that I really did think I was alone. And that sounds crazy to think about now. Like, how is that possible? You know, there's so many of us humans on this planet. Like, <laughs> The odds are against me for me to be alone in some thought pattern. But it's like the identity you were describing. We just yes. develop these deep-seated identities that we may not know what they're connected to at any given point. Shining light on those things with other people shining light on their own things really normalizes the process, which is huge. It diffuses the fact that we make things kind of bigger than ourselves when we don't know how to start. So that I think is a huge component to yes. doing things in groups as well. Yes. And, and also with that level of authenticity and realness, because social media plays an important role in connecting people, but we also know that it's very curated and that people choose what aspects of their lives and this fabulous trip and this fabulous meal that that's what they share mm. in, in the groups, the kind of group experience that you and I are talking about. It's real. And people we share about our authentic journey and the challenges and we learn from each other that way. And that's what I try to do in the book too. Is like, you know, that's why I tell my personal story in it too. It's like, yeah, that's like being introverted. That didn't come easy to me. It's like, I'm very private about my life, mm -hmm. but I knew that sharing about my own process would make it relatable and will make it doable. Right. And we talked a little bit about that the last time we talked about that being not necessarily the thing you want to do first is share your, your personal information and story, but you come across in the interactions I've had with you and reading the book, extremely authentic and very in touch with that. And I know we talked about being introverted as a young person and having long moments of depression, but do you feel like the idea of being authentic was always available to you? Or was that something you had to work towards connecting with, finding authenticity for yourself? I mean, that's a great question. And I think there were layers to it. Like it was eye-opening to me that, you know, I had rationalized not coming out to my parents because I figured, you know, they didn't need to know that the love was established. 
all my my partners at the time were immediately accepted into the family. So I didn't feel the need to speak about it. But looking back on it, it was a rationalization. It was a difficult conversation that I was avoiding. Mm. And so it took, you know, I was out to my siblings and to my good friends. But it took me realizing that, you know, once I started teaching very soon, I started realizing uh, teaching about authenticity. And it dawned on me that I was withholding a huge part of who I was, of who I am, to my arguably most constant and most significant relationship, that with my parents. And, and this is interesting, too, because it talks about, and I think I write, I write about this in my first book, either, either that or it's in this next book that I'm working on now on relationships, because it, it talks about how Carl Jung writes that we attract people into our lives and we create situations so that we can heal blind spots in us, parts that we can't see yet. Mm-hmm. So in my first three relationships, there was a pattern of me getting cheated on. And I didn't find out until after the fact. And it wasn't anything that I was doing. I wasn't stepping outside of the relationship. But once I started teaching and once I started realizing that I wasn't out to my parents, it dawned on me that I was cheating my most significant relationship, that with my parents. Because for years I had monitor what I was saying. Mm. I had to limit what I was saying. I had to like either sometimes either withhold information or outright lie if they asked me they asked me what did you do this weekend? And so in a sense I was cheating mm. my relationship with my parents. The details were different. I wasn't cheating in the relationship, but I was cheating. Mm. And here's the amazing thing about how this stuff works. After I came out to my parents, so that cheating was done, that was like the only area in which I was cheating. Once I came out, when I, when I did that, I was in an ashram. I was in a, in a spiritual community. But after that phase, when I got in my next relationship and every relationship since, I've never been cheated on. It's never <sighs> been an issue. Wow. I know. That's like deep subconscious healing is what it I know. feels like to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a great story. I appreciate you sharing it and being forthcoming with that moment in your life because... It was just right there with you when you were telling the story and and knowing that feeling of not being truthful. And I have a hard time not being truthful to the point where sometimes I overshare the details of things because (laughs) I I just don't want to carry stuff I didn't share around with me, if that makes sense. So that can be really painful. Yes. And and it's so important for anybody who this struck a chord with, you know, who also has a pattern of being cheated on and they don't have that situation like I did of coming out. But I would ask themselves, ask them to ask themselves, are you cheating your relationship with yourself? Hmm. Right? Are you cheating yourself? Are there parts in your life where you're selling out, where you are selling out and settling, where you're saying yes when inside you really feel no, where you're withholding parts of who you are so as not to shake, you know, not to rock the boat too much? where you're settling for that illusion of security of, of a biweekly paycheck, you know, deep stuff, right? deep stuff. And are we selling out on, on our soul level, mission level work? And that's, I mean, that's a whole other direction of the conversation. But if we're willing to do the work, right, if you're willing to ask ourselves these questions, then those external dramas of like getting cheated on in a relationship, they, they just disappear. They fall away. And, and by the way, this is not excusing anybody's behavior. Right. It's not. Right. But it's saying that if we want to be free, we've got to look within. Yeah. And and it does, you know, you touched upon mirroring a little bit earlier as well without saying that word, but just how we reflect, like the example you were talking about was being in a group and easily seeing your issues on someone else, but that's us mirroring 
where it's easy to see because we are experiencing it and it's a little bit of mirroring, but I think we do the same thing and how we attract people and energies sure. to us. For sure. Good, bad, whatever, but yes, it can be all of those things at once even, but all those parts of us, it's almost like we're these crystals, these prisms that have many, many, many geometrical sides yes. and we yes. can attract light from all of those angles at the same time, but there's going to be shadows too. Right. So finding ways to be more illuminated <laughs> to use an analogy of shining light <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. on what we want to see, you know, there can't be dark and light at the exact same time. Yeah. Right. So you've got that choice to kind of go into the shadows so that you can bring the light into those areas. That's huge. Marcy. That is huge because in, in the spiritual community, there's a lot of spiritual bypassing. Mm. Right. I was talking, everything is love and light, love and light. True. Um, yeah. And, and true. I mean, that is the ultimate truth. But but how do you get there? <laughs> you, exactly. You can't jump over the dark stuff. Like I wrote a piece yeah. a few years ago called You Can't Namaste the Shadow Away. That's it great. Go away. You I love the ring to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't suppress that stuff. You can't jump over it. Right. We want to be free. We've got to be willing to look inside. And that's why this book is a, is a part of a series of three on what it means to live heroically. It's called Calling All Heroes because it's right. it's not easy to do any of this stuff. In fact, it's nothing short of heroic, incredibly, infinitely worthwhile. Is that why you call it a heroic journey? Like what yes. you just said sounds like the definition to your definition to being heroic. Yeah, exactly why. Great. It's exactly the definition for it. And it connects to the ego. To be willing to face ourselves and to see these these egoic tendencies. Not fun. It's not pleasant. When I first saw the, you know, like a previous iteration of, of the way that I, that image that I used in the book to illustrate the ego, is like I could hardly even look at it because I didn't want to see myself in it. Mm. But then I thought, you know what? That's what I needed to know. Like what made me do the things I do and why I sabotage myself and all those questions. And I didn't get it from my psychiatrist's father. I didn't get it from any psychology teacher in college. I didn't get it from the Jesuits that I studied with all throughout high school. And, and so that model that I've evolved and grown and expanded over the last three years, that's what I share about in the book. And, it, and it's a game changer. It's a game changer. It is. It's really just the awareness part, I think, like really, yeah. really spending the time talking about how we can be aware of the ego. You call it awakening the souls. Do you feel like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it almost feels like the soul is the opposite of the ego. How would you define what that is? Yeah, well, you know, that's so it's kind of indefinable. <laughs> right. But let's use the going back to the same image or metaphor, you know, the soul will be the stadium. The okay. stadium part of us, you know, that part of us that is connected and interconnected to it all, to all of creation, to God, to whatever you want to call it, to life, to the universe, our own piece of sacred real estate that shows up and manifests through through this little body contained right over here. <laughs> so the book is Awakening the Soul of Power. And okay. so it's about how do we step into power in a way that's not about hierarchy, about fear, about control, about domination, that doesn't require uh, for us to push anybody down, to step on them, in order for us to prop ourselves up and feel powerful. And part of what I've learned 10, 12 years doing this particular work around empowerment is that most of us have an ambivalent relationship to power. We want it, but there's a part of us that's afraid of it, as, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And, and what this book carries holds our, our hands through is 
both understanding the ego, because that's primary, and then understanding the different ways of looking at power so that there is a way that we can own our power and step into our power that doesn't require that we abuse it, that we cause harm, that we you know, get, get corrupted because we've taken on so many beliefs, negative beliefs, and have been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing with quotes like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. What they didn't tell us, though, is that that quote by Lord Acton was speaking specifically about political power, not personal power. So when you add to that mix, to all that conditioning and, and all the abuses of power that we have witnessed, so what good-hearted person wants to become an abuser of power? What good-hearted person wants to be corrupted? And so when to add to that, when that we've been conditioned to fear the emotions and to run away from conflict and confrontation, what happens is that we end up giving our power away and we end up doing what we said we were talking about before is, you know, settling, selling out saying yes when inside it's really no it's really not okay with us but we override that we override our beliefs our preferences our desires and we settle for that illusion of security and for that mm. false sense of acceptance and those morsels of pseudo love wow what really well said and yeah i'm hearing connection is really at the core of all of this mm-hmm. and it, it's almost like a lot of people relationship to money this is another not to go on a tangent, but yeah, a lot but of yes. people associate power with money and that's a negative thing. So for artists, I bring it up because it's a very difficult topic for creative people. And a lot of creative artists listen to this. It's this thing where you think that you don't deserve the money because you don't want to be this corrupt person that has so much that you don't deserve it or the the power isn't in alignment with your beliefs and money is just money. It's just an object. It's just a thing. It's just energy. It's just energy exchange. That's all it is. And then, you know, like talking about artists, like we've got to look look inside and and look at why we believe the things we do. Is is it what what you're talking about? Or is it, you know, is it that anguish, like starving artist that I have to suffer in order to create? It's like, wait a minute. Question yeah. your beliefs. The over-identification of these tropes that we're fed. Yes. And expressing the creative genius that's inside us doesn't require that we be starving and suffering. I agree. It doesn't. There yeah. are other ways of accessing that. I, I think so, too. And I guess this conversation of power reminds me of that sort of misinformation around how you're supposed to live in a lot of creative people's minds. And Really, this applies to anyone if you relate to this, but just that idea of, of knowing that there's just a choice. There's just a choice you get to make and no one gets to decide how you do that thing and how you want to live. And if you want to live abundantly and be creative, then you get to do that. It's just a matter of putting the action steps in place for that and believing that it can be true for you. To put, to put simply. Beautifully said. And, And also, I know a lot of people in the spiritual community. I had to work through that. Because I had I had the belief that to do spiritual work you shouldn't charge. Until I started like examining that belief and it's like say, wait a minute, you know, those beliefs come from a time where where either the medicine woman or the shaman or the priest, you know, or or the minister were taken care of by the village or by or by the church. Mm. And so they were able to not charge for spiritual work, but that's not the world that we that we live in. Interesting. You know, we've got bills to pay. Right. We got to put a roof over our heads and put it in our mouth. So I have zero, zero conflict these days. You know, I've worked through that. All those layers of misunderstanding about money. 
That's beautiful. And I think it's a journey worth taking for anyone who wants to be more abundant in that area. I think it's worth spending some time with and treating it as part of this journey. So I just want to bring that up because I think it's a big component that a lot of us don't even want to look at because we feel whatever we feel about it, shame or undeserving. It's connected to our worth, all of these things. I think it's part of this conversation at some point. Definitely. So, yeah. Well, we said a lot, which I love. This is just completely in my lane. So I appreciate (laughs) all of this so much. But if there's Mm. one takeaway that you'd like a listener to have from this conversation, if there's one thing they walk away with, what would that be? Go within. Know yourself. That is the key to all the answers to all your questions. And also, there is a way that you can step into all of who you are, that you can stop half-assing life and begin full-assing it, that can be authentic, that it can be a reflection of, of the inner goodness in your heart, and that doesn't require settling, You know that, that we can have that match with the values that are inherent to us and still be in our power. And still be all that we can be and make a huge difference in this world. Perfect. That's a great takeaway. I'll take that with me today as well. (laughs) Thank Thank you you for that. So how can we connect with you? Good question. And thank you for asking that. Well, the book is available wherever books are sold. So your local bookstore, if you want to order it and support them or Amazon. Great. However, you, wherever you get your books. And in terms of reaching me, probably my website is the first place to go to. And from there, they can access my social media. My website is soulfulpower.com. And for your listeners, if they will get on my email list when they go to soulfulpower.com, and we know how easy it is to click unsubscribe down the road if it doesn't work for you. But just by getting on the email list, they'll get a sample chapter from the book. They'll get some of the power practices that we were talking about earlier. And they'll get a, a guided meditation and some teachings about trust that I created, particularly during these times of pandemic that are so filled with, with fear and uncertainty and chaos. So it's so supporting us to step more, to become more grounded in trust. Mm. Thank you for that. That sounds really valuable as an offer. So I appreciate that. We'll, we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. Beautiful. To make sure it's easy to access. And thanks again, Barcy. Thanks again for having me on the show. And uh, obviously you and I could talk for another couple of hours and wouldn't run out of stuff. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I find this very valuable for myself and of course, and then I'm sure the listeners will as well. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Be Will Begin. Make sure to catch our Thursday Small Shifts episodes for five-minute self-reflective small questions that follow a theme and a guided meditation style. Also be sure to click the follow button or check mark for Beeble Begin on your favorite podcast app to add it to your library so each episode downloads automatically. And if you'd like to stay connected for workshops and all Beeble Begin offers, and get a free guide to working with fear and imposter syndrome, you can go to fearimposter.avanthousemedia.com or click the link in the show notes. Stay safe and keep creating.